Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc or you can visit us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Last week, we kicked off this what-if series by acknowledging that in all stages of life, we ask the what-if question. At all places, whether you're young or old, we ask those what-if questions. I've got a little four-year-old guy at my house, and it's like he is constantly asking what-if questions. Hey, Daddy, hey, Daddy, what if I stood up on the edge of the couch and I jumped off and I could fly around the room? I'm like, probably not going to happen, bud. Like, I tried it before. It didn't work. I don't feel like going to the ER. Let's not do that today, okay? Hey, Daddy, 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 what if, what if I got this new toy? Like, what if I took that one? home from Walmart, right? All right, you got a thousand toys for Christmas. What are you going to do with one more? We're not doing that today. Or, or how about this one? Uh, hey, daddy, hey, daddy, what if, what if I didn't eat my green beans for dinner and we just ate chocolate cake? And I'm like, hey, what if daddy's in with you on that one? That's what I'm talking about. That's my boy. I mean, we're, we're always asking those what if questions, whether you're a kid or a teenager or adult, we're always thinking, man, what if, what if, what if? And at this time of year, it seems that we ask what if questions even a little bit more. We kind of think about New Year's and New Year's resolutions. And so we're thinking, well, what, what if I, you know, what if I lost some weight this year, maybe toned up a little bit? What if we managed our money better at our house this year? That would be an awesome thing to do. What if we ate healthier in 2017? Or what if, Hey, students, like what if I studied more or correct that? What if I started studying in 2017 and maybe got some better grades? Or, you know, what if I man, loved and cared for my family or my parents or my kids better this year? We ask those what if questions a lot. And so what this series is all about is asking and tackling some very serious what if questions. Um, some of these, maybe they're questions that you've asked before. Um, maybe they're questions that you're asking right now as you kind of think about a new year, a new year near you. Um, or maybe they're questions that you've never thought about before. But what I, I proposed to you last week is that I think if we get really serious and not just kind of go through the motions here for 30 minutes, but if we get really serious about some of the questions that I want to lay out for us and then honestly begin to wrestle and live these things out, I literally believe, like the line behind me, I literally believe it could change everything about you. Uh, that's not, it's not a sales pitch, but it could change everything about you, not just for 2017, but literally for the rest of your journey and the rest of our life here on earth. And so if you got a copy of scripture, we're in Hebrews chapter 10 today. So almost at the all, all the way at the back of your Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, if you have a uh, digital copy or hard copy, love for you just to kind of open up and see where we are today. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version in just a moment, and we'll put the scripture up on the screen just for you to kind of track along with where we'll be. Um, last week, we looked at the question, what if I took my Bible seriously? That's what we kicked off the series. What if I took my Bible seriously? And, and what we said is that, hey, Bible, number one best-selling book of all time in history, hands down, not even close. And yes, we live in the Bible belt, but the reality of what we looked at last week is we're going further and further away from building our lives on that foundation. And so if you missed last week's message, you want to catch up, you can go on our website. We've got the video or the audio podcast available, as well as the slides, some of those application slides that I used at the end last week. All that's available on our website if you want to catch back up. But here's what we're going to do today. Second question is this one right here. What if I didn't do life alone? What if I didn't do life alone? Now, I want to kind of clarify something from the get-go, all right? If you're single in the house, I'm not promising you that you're going to walk out with a hot date, okay? That's not what I'm saying. This isn't Match.com or even ChristianMingle.com, all right? Uh, so just kind of dispel that rumor from the get-go. But, but we're going to think about this question maybe in a different way than the world might ask it. But what if I didn't do life alone? Here's what I found this week. Loneliness, as defined by Webster's Dictionary, uh, is sadness because one has no company or friends. 
And did you know that we as a society, we are more connected than ever before, yet we are lonelier than ever before. Like we have more ways to be connected through cell phones, the internet. I mean, we reach somebody on the other side of the world just like that. Yet studies show that we are lonelier than ever before. I found a study this week and it said um, that on average, Americans check their phone 46 times an hour. Or excuse me, I'm sorry, 46 times a day. But for some of you, I know that number is incredibly low because you check your phone 46 times an hour. Right? You don't have to raise your hand, admit who you are, but we long for that. Like we need that community and worth. And here's what the study went on to say. It went on to say that 40 to 45% of Americans report being lonely on a regular basis. That's over 20% increase from the 10 to 20% of people who reported being lonely in the 1970s and 80s. Loneliness is a very real thing. And I realize today, man, we're in a room full of people made up of all different stories and backgrounds and places in life. But I think that loneliness is still very real for us as students, um, as grandmothers and grandfathers, as single adults, as married couples in the middle of a marriage. Loneliness is still a very, very real thing. Maybe for some of you, um, your loneliness is brought about by an unfortunate event in your life, maybe where there was separation or there was loss. And so now you would say that you're lonely. Um, for others of you, maybe your loneliness um, is the result of an attitude or perspective that you live with. That, man, I, I don't need other people in my life. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. I can handle this on my own. Or for some of you, maybe, man, you've trusted somebody in a great way and, and you got burned in a really legitimate way and they created hurt and, and scars in your life. And so as a result of that, man, you're going, I'm, I'm not going back there. And so now you, you live in loneliness. Or maybe for some of you, maybe you do life every day, like in the middle of tons of people. At your work, at your school, in your neighborhood. I was just people all day. You're over people. You're one of many people at the school or in the company. But the reality is, if you got really honest, and inside you, you're really, really empty, and you could describe yourself as lonely. You know, loneliness is a very, very real thing. Yet here's what I believe Scripture shows us. That God did not create us to do life alone. God created us to do life in community. If you go back to the very beginning of scripture, Genesis chapter two, God creates Adam, right? The first man, and he puts him on earth. And then this is what God says to Adam. Check this out. Genesis two, um, verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be what? Alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So from the very beginning, God created and designed us for community, to share life with others. And so today I want us to really think about that. Like, what, what if I didn't, what if you didn't do life alone? So we're going to go to Hebrews 10, where I told you to open up to earlier. And there's three verses, kind of right in the middle of that chapter, that give a lot of encouragement towards doing life together with others. And so I want us to read those verses real quick, and then we're going to kind of walk through them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, this is what Scripture says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day 
approaching. Scripture says, as followers of Jesus, meaning for those of us who, who've gone, man, I'm laying down my old life of sin and self. It's not working. And I'm going to trust Jesus to be master and leader of my life. For somebody who's gotten there, that we have hope. Because Jesus has been victorious over, over sin and over the cross and over the grave. And he gives that victory to those who trust him. We have a hope, those who are in Christ, that the world does not offer and cannot. But here's what the writer says. He says, so because you have that hope, hold on to it with everything you've got. He says, hold on to that hope that you profess unswervingly. Like, do not let go whatever you do. And then he gives them some instructions on how to do that. But here's what we said last week. You can make all of the New Year's resolutions that you want. Those are great and good, and men do that. But the one thing that you cannot predict is you cannot predict the storms of life. You can't. And, and, and I love that here in this verse, we get challenged to say, hey, will you be prepared? Will you hold on to the hope that you profess that you have? You come in this room and you declare it every week. And you, you say that you live it out there. Will you hold on to that when the storm comes? Or, like we talked about last week in Psalm 1, will you be blown away when the chaff just like the chaff, when the, when the storms of life come, when the wind and the pressures of this world come, will you be blown? How will you respond? And then the verse kind of ends with, man, just this challenge and this reminder that in this journey of life, it's not God that grows unfaithful to us. It's not. It's us who grows unfaithful to God. And Hebrews says, man, he's true to his word. He's true to every promise. And as a result of that, we can trust him no matter what the situation looks like for us. And one of the main ways I believe that we prepare ourselves to do what Hebrews said, to, to hold firmly, unswervingly to the hope that we profess, one of the ways that happens is through what we call spiritual community. Now, I'm going to use that word a good bit today, spiritual community. And so I kind of want to define what that means so that when I say it, we're all on the same, same page. I would describe spiritual community as intentionally pursuing Jesus together with others intentionally pursuing Jesus together with others. Now, for us as the exchange, maybe you're brand new to us, there's really two primary ways, two primary avenues that we live in spiritual community together. Two different things. One, our Sunday gathering it happens every week, 9, 15, 11 o'clock. They're exactly the same. We do that together. Second thing is this, something that we call life groups. So we meet in large groups, but then we also break that down to do life in smaller groups together of, of men, of women, of couples, young adults. We, we share that community together in life groups. And here's what happens in those groups. I mean, we, we live life together, right? We walk through things together, and then we grow in our faith. We engage God's word. We study. Our faith is strengthened in those times together. So that's our two avenues. We do other things, but those are the two avenues that we take towards spiritual community together. And so in verses 24 and 25, here's the objective today. I want us to see three different characteristics that I believe spiritual community, living in that, produces in us. In other words, three things that would become true of us if we didn't do life alone. All right? So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. The first truth that we see about spiritual community is that spiritual community produces in us love for Jesus and each other. Spiritual community produces in us love for Jesus and each other. Verse 24, that we read just a moment ago, says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 
All right, let me, let me make a statement that maybe is really obvious to you, but hopefully you realize this. One of the reasons that we gather in this place every single week, like we do it like clockwork every week, and one of the reasons that we gather during the week in smaller groups called life groups, one of the reasons we do that is to increase our personal love of Jesus. So that's one of the main objectives, to increase our personal love of Jesus. During this time in Hebrews, very, very early in the Christian movement, it was understood that for a, a Christian to try to walk the Christian life in an individualistic manner, to try to do it on their own, meant that they were living at great risk. Because that isolation made them susceptible to giving up their faith altogether. And so what we realize is that Nothing has really changed since this moment almost 2,000 years ago because we still need each other to hold each other accountable, to remind us to hold on to the faith that we profess that we have, the hope that we profess, and to encourage our hearts to increase our personal love of Jesus. So here's the deal. Whether we meet, maybe you've picked this up, whether we meet in this room every week or we're meeting in life groups every week, there's a few main things that we just circle around, like over and over and over and over and over. We come in here, like we express musical worship back to God. Jesus, you're worthy. God with us. God for us. Nothing can stand against us. We say those things. And then we always take time just like this to circle around God's word. If you're in a group, a lot, of, a lot of those same things take place. We hang out with one another, all with the end goal that our personal love of Jesus would be increased. Now, here's the deal. Every week, maybe it's like just a little bit this week, and like a little bit more this week, but at the same time, we're growing. Our personal love of Jesus is increasing. Before every single gathering, every Sunday, 9, 15, 11 o'clock, 9, 15, 11 o'clock, our band that, that leads up here every week and our technical team that leads you guys in the back, they gather a little room off the, the back of the gathering space back there and they pray together for you every week, every time. You want to know what they pray? They pray this, not that like, hey, they would hear awesome music today or that the preaching would be really good or the lights would be just perfect. Like, like we want to do those things to present Jesus well, but here's what they pray for you. They pray that your personal love of Jesus would be increased because of our time together. That's, that's the goal every single week. I mean, I wish I could tell you the stories. I get to talk to so many different people who leave one of our Sunday gatherings or they go to one of our groups that meet during the week and they walk away and they say some things very much like this. I've heard it over and over and over throughout four years. Man, man, something was really, really special about that time. Or man, like it was like God was there. Or they'll say something like, man, I felt like a new person just because of that time. And here's, here's what I've come to realize. Like over four years, it really doesn't have anything to do with who's preaching. It doesn't. It doesn't have anything to do with how good the band sounded. It really doesn't even have anything to do with like how nice the house was that the life group gathered in or how awesome the Rotel was that you started group with. It doesn't have anything to do with that. You don't know what it has to do with? The fact that there is power. God created power to be in the gathering of people pursuing Jesus together. That it would increase our personal love of Jesus. And here's the deal. Every week we gather in this room or as life groups, we gather as people who don't have it all figured out. Like just kind of look down the road for just a second and be like, yeah, he definitely does not have it all figured out. Like he came here today. Guess what? It starts with me, like right here. We gather as people with broken past. People who've grown up in church all their life. People who are brand new to church. People with every story imaginable. And when we gather around that, and we all come into this commonality of going, Jesus, we're pursuing you today. All right, we're reminded that we have a God who is capable of loving all people unconditionally. It's a beautiful picture to remind us of the power of our God. This past week, 
I heard the story of a man who came and attended one of our gatherings. And then last Sunday, he went to be a part of one of our, our life groups, one of our spiritual communities of people. And he's in a really, really difficult place in life right now. And his wife has walked out on him. He's separated. He's got a little girl. He's trying to figure out what is he going to do next. And I had the chance to talk with him this week. And what he basically said to me was that, Brian, because of my time with the gathering and with a small group of people who loved me, my personal love of Jesus is increased. He wouldn't say he's there. Like, he's not arrived. But his personal love of Jesus is increased because that's the power of spiritual community and doing life together. But I think spiritual community also produces in us a greater love for each other. It's not just about God. Verse 24, we read it. It says, let us spur one another on toward love and toward good deeds. In other words, the goal of spiritual community, this right here, gathering in small groups of people, is to not only increase our vertical love of Jesus, but it's also to increase our horizontal love of each other. That's a huge part of this. And the reality that we all have to grasp at some point or another is that this life, this whole journey thing that we're on is way bigger than me. It's way bigger than you. And every day, like if I'm honest with you, that's a daily struggle for me to wake up and realize like it's not all about Bryant's wants and Bryant's desires, like so much bigger than me. And one of the things that spiritual community does for me and should do for you is it opens our eyes to realize like, man, there's a world, there's a ton of people around me who need to be loved. And here's, here's what Paul wrote to a church in Galatia, Galatians 5, 13. Paul says, hey, you, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. In other words, to find life in Christ. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, to make it about you. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Paul says the love and the freedom that were given in Christ wasn't just to be enjoyed by us, but it was intended to be shared as we increase our love for each other. I mean, I I wish, I literally wish I had time today to tell you just the story after story after story of how I've seen people within this family that God's growing called the exchange live out love for one another like literally walk that out I was thinking this week just just in our life groups alone man I've seen people do things like take meals to each other uh, mow each other's yards visit people in the hospital provide groceries for one another give clothes to one another help each other with child care share financial resources with each other and guess what the list goes on and on I could go all day long and guess what Those people would have never had the opportunity to share that love with one another had they not been engaged in spiritual community. And even greater than that, those people who are on the receiving end of those acts of love would have never had the opportunity to be recipients had they been trying to do life alone. Here's what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light, or we could say, let your love shine before others. Why would we do that, Jesus? So that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, pursuing Jesus together with others through spiritual community, it increases our personal love of Jesus, which hopefully overflows into our love for each other. But go back and and look at verse 24 and 25. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
Here's the second thing that this passage points out about spiritual community. Spiritual community produces in us commitment to God and to each other. Spiritual community produces in us commitment to God and to each other. I'll make a statement that I heard a few years ago, incredibly powerful statement. It says that immaturity is the inability to make and keep commitments. Maybe some of you need to write that down. Immaturity is the inability to make and keep commitments. I don't know if you've looked around recently, but like we as a people, we as a society are growing more and more non-committal. We are. It's like, man, we can't fully commit to a job or a career or a relationship or schoolwork or a company or sometimes a spouse or a family because what are we looking for? We're like, if it doesn't go our way, we bail out. If it gets difficult, no, I'm not going into that. I want to leave my options open. Like we as a people, we can't deny it. We are running more and more from commitment. We are. But what scripture says here is, that, hey, part of when you engage in spiritual community continually, it increases your commitment to God first and to each other. See, when we come to trust Christ, ultimately we make a decision with our life to live in commitment, to live in commitment to God's plan for us, to walk in that in the way that God designed us. And I love that God doesn't just say, hey, come follow me, period. Like that would have that really left us in a really hopeless place, but he's like, hey, come follow me. And then here's some guardrails to kind of keep you on this journey because I know you're going to start going that way and that way. Here's some guardrails. One, my word. So we said last week, what if I took the Bible seriously? Second, man, engage in prayer. Talk to me. Like, I want to hear from you. I want to talk back to you. Third, he says, I'm going to put other people around you if you will allow them to be so that you can walk in spiritual community, so that you can walk in this life that God has designed you for. Guess what God knew? God knew that this life would get discouraging. He knew that it was going to be bigger than what we could handle on our own. And so he says, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to allow you to increase your commitment to me and your commitment to each other. I'm going to allow you to walk in this community together. The author Robert Saucy said this powerful and convicting statement. He says, the follower of Jesus cannot profess allegiance to him and deny his church. And deny his church. And a huge part of our commitment to God is reflected in our commitment to spiritual community, especially within the context of a local church. Um, I read an article this week um, of a man who sent a letter to a British newspaper years ago, and he was complaining um, about he saw no sense in going to church every Sunday. Now, we realize like we don't say we go to church. We are the church, but going to the gathering of the church. This is what this man wrote to the British newspaper. He says this, I've been attending services quite regularly for the past 30 years. And during that time, I've listened to no less than 3,000 sermons. But to my dismay, I discover I cannot remember a single one of them. I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitably spent on something else. Now, as you can imagine, that created a little bit of a stir. And so some people started replying back. And so one guy's letter then really became the clincher. And this is what one man wrote back. He says, I have been married for 30 years. And during that time, I've eaten 32,850 meals, mostly of my wife's cooking. Suddenly, I've discovered that I cannot remember the menu of a single meal. And yet, I receive nourishment from every one of them. And I have the distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death long ago. 
See, God created spiritual community to increase our commitment to him. But then it doesn't just stop there because the more we become committed to him, I think we also see this here in Hebrews, that we become more committed to each other. We, we, we read it just a second ago. And here's what I've heard people say quite often. I've heard people say, well, I go to church or I go to life group when I need it, when it benefits me, all right? Can I just pose a couple of just questions real quick to us? What if that was completely the wrong mindset? Like, what if our, our motivation for spiritual community, rather than beginning with us and when we need it, what if it became about becoming committed to the family of believers that God has given us? In Mark chapter 2, Jesus gives us an incredibly compelling story of four friends, you've probably heard it before, who have a, a friend who is paralyzed and he lays on a mat and he cannot get up and he cannot walk. But these friends hear about Jesus coming to town. They're like, we've heard that he's healed people. Like people who couldn't walk, he's let them walk again. We're getting our friend to Jesus. And so they walk hundreds of yards, miles, tens of miles, carrying their friend. They didn't throw him in the SUV. He's not riding in the ambulance. They didn't call 911. They picked him up and carried him to Jesus. And when they got to the house where Jesus was speaking, it was a sold out crowd. No room to walk in. So what did they do? They dropped the guy and turned around and went home and were like, we're quitting. No, that's not what they did. If you've read this story, they go, we're getting him to Jesus. And so they walk their friend up on the roof of the house, dig a hole in the roof of the house, and lower their friend down to the feet of Jesus, who sees their faith and ultimately heals their friend. Now, just, that's what the Bible says. I want us to think real quick about, this, about these four guys. Did they pursue spiritual community for how it would benefit them? Did they pursue spiritual community going, what can I get out of this? No. And they gave of their effort, of their time, of their energy, of their own perseverance, so that their friend might see Jesus and ultimately Jesus healed their friend. I mean, how awesome, how awesome would it be if when we walked into spiritual community in this place every week, because we're going to do it every week, and in our, our small groups and our life groups every week or every other week, with a total different mindset about how we pursued spiritual community. And we went, rather than like, what's it going to do for me tonight? Like, are they having brownies at life group? Tonight? No, no brownies. Like, oh, I don't, they didn't sing the songs I liked this morning at the gathering. Like, I didn't even know any of those songs. No one talked to me. Like, what if rather than walking in with that mindset, what if we walked in going, God, how can you use me? God, how might you use me today to serve somebody who doesn't know you? How might you use my story and my struggles to partner up with somebody else who's walking through a season of, of discouragement? Oh, you walk into, guess what? I'll walk through the same thing. Let me tell you how Jesus was faithful to me. And what if our whole mindset changed on how we first pursue spiritual community because we're committed to God, we become committed to each other. And guess what? What if, what if God used you in the midst of spiritual community to see a person find healing? Maybe not physically. Maybe they don't like get up off their mat and start walking. But maybe even greater, that their soul finds healing.
in Jesus. Here's what I can tell you. Over the last four years of sitting in the seat and watching what God's done in this family, I've seen it happen over and over and over and over. I've watched people and our, our volunteers, our door holders that serve you on Sundays Men love people and love kids. And I've watched our life group leaders and people within life groups pour out and love people and sacrifice and give life, as we say. And as a result of that, right, as a result of those people going, I'm in, I'm obedient. It doesn't start with me. I'm carrying my friend. We're digging the hole. We're dropping the person right at the feet of Jesus. We've literally seen eternities be changed. Like literally, eternities be altered. Because people stepped into spiritual community with a completely different mindset. Here's what I think. The more committed we become to spiritual community, the more committed we become to God. And the more committed we become to God, the more committed we'll become to each other. And the more committed we become to each other, check this out, the more attractive the family of God becomes to a lonely world who sits out there longing for community. Mark it down. I've seen it happen. You see, when we pursue Jesus together, in spiritual community increases our commitment to God and it increases our commitment to each other. But look back at verse 25. It says, not giving up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but, catch this last phrase, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's the third and final characteristic that I think spiritual community produces in us. Spiritual community produces in us encouragement to persevere. Encouragement to persevere. As the writer of Hebrews, as he's recording these words and he's writing them, it's not writing to like people who are like, you know, at the day spa. Like he's writing to people who are facing persecution and rejection for their faith. And he, and he looks at him and he's like, man, stand firm. You could do it, guys. Like hold on to that hope you profess. Realize like there's a day coming. This isn't the end. I know it's tough right now, but hold on. This isn't the end. And he writes this encouragement to him. And then in the middle of that, here's what he says in the middle of that. He goes, here's how you're going to do that. Walk in spiritual community together. Like surround yourself with people who are pursuing Jesus with you, who are holding on to that same hope that you profess to have. That's how you're going to make it through. And here's what I know about every single person in the room. It doesn't matter how old you are, student, grandma, grandpa, in between. It doesn't matter what your background is. Here's what I know about you. You just came out of a storm of life. You're in a struggle of life or a storm right now, or one's coming and you got no idea. It doesn't matter who you are, all right? There's a hundred percent success rate running right now that we will all experience the pressure and the weight and the stress of this life at some point on some level, and it will become more than we can bear. Just mark it down. And that doesn't really sound like a hope-filled statement. I realize that. But for those who are in Christ, there are two bits of incredible hope in that. One, we serve a God who is ever-present and who is ever-faithful. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's really good. Second, he says, It's going to get difficult. It's going to be more than you can bear, but I'm going to give you the opportunity of spiritual community, of other believers around you who can give you the encouragement to persevere, realizing this isn't the end. So walk in that. If I'm honest with you guys, man, the most painful thing for me to watch as a pastor 
is over the last four plus years, I've watched people become connected on some level to this family of believers. And then I've watched them walk through some of the most, literally some of the most difficult storms and places of life imaginable, like legitimate tough stuff. And then I've watched some of those people, rather than turning to spiritual community, they've turned away from spiritual community. And it's so difficult to watch. Whether they turn out of shame, they turn out of rebellion, they turn out of like, I can handle this on my own, I don't need to share this, I got this. And I promise you, every time in that moment, man, I I want 10 seconds with them to go, you were never designed to do life alone. You can't. I watched people try it. You weren't. So here's what Scripture says. Earlier in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says this. Hey, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that does what? That turns away from the living God, like the one who breathes life into you in hope. Don't turn from him. Verse 13, but encourage one another monthly, every year. No, daily. Like you need it that often. As long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And you and me, we weren't designed to do this thing alone. And I love that God reflects that, not just in humanity, but like it's in creation. If you've ever seen geese in a flying V formation before, like you've witnessed the power of community. I'm I'm not going to sit up here and act like I'm a geese expert. I am not, all right? But I read some facts this week, and here's what they said. Check this out. Statistics show that when geese fly in a V formation together, it increases their flying range up to 71% over what they could do if they were flying alone. And then have you ever heard them like flying and like the guys in the back are just like honking their heads off and like, what are, you, what are you even saying? What are you doing? Check this out. Study said that the geese in the middle and the back of the V, when they honk, they're providing encouragement for the geese in the front of the V to keep up the pace, to keep going. Is that cool or what? But then the one that takes the cake is this one. Whenever a geese gets wounded or sick, and falls out of formation, two geese will always fall out with it to fly down and protect it and help it until it regains strength to rejoin the formation. That's the power of spiritual community. That's what it looks like to not do life alone. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says it so clearly. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them And over the last four plus years, as God has built this family, I have watched people walk through literally some of the greatest victories of life together. And it's awesome to watch that. But I've also watched people walk through some of the most difficult, gut-wrenching, painful storms 
of life together. We weren't designed to do it alone. And what I've come to realize is that for us to deny spiritual community in our life is for us to deny encouragement that God intended for us. Because here's, here's just the facts. As God grows this family, and he has in some incredible ways over the last four plus years, it is impossible for us to stand up here on Sundays and announce 300 prayer requests to all of you. All right? It's impossible. It's also impossible for our staff to respond to every single call for help as much as we want to. But when you become engaged in spiritual community particularly within our our small groups called life groups, you open yourself up for encouragement to persevere no matter what life hands you. But I don't want you just to take my word for it, all right? I want you to hear this story real quick of a real couple who's a real part of what God's doing here who has seen the power of spiritual community impact them in a very personal way. You guys watch this story. We found out about the exchange through some, some of our friends, Bo Bailey and Heather May. They both invited us to come and we hesitated for a while because we had been trying to search for a church home for a while and nothing just ever felt right. And so we came and the first Sunday that we came, it was a few weeks before the launch date. When we left, we got into the car and we looked at each other and it was like, this is it. This is where we need to be. This is, I, I felt God today. We knew at that moment that this was family and this was where we just felt like we we belonged and we fit in. Um, so we started coming and then a couple weeks later, then we launched as a church. I remember the day that God broke me down a few weeks before I was baptized and he literally broke me down into pieces to rebuild me up because I've had cl- glimpses of God in my life, but that day when Brian, that message that Brian preached just broke broke me and that's when I finally truly accepted Jesus into my heart and my Savior and the day I was baptized that was like 10,000 pounds was taken off my back you know and I knew I didn't have to worry no more I didn't have to stress about anything that God had was my Savior and he gonna have my back it was really important for us to have a church that focused on the kids and and taught them and they have the exchange has been so wonderful teaching our daughter and then now our son Max that's growing up in little life Um, the friendships that we've made in the four years that we've been at the exchange have been so important to us as a couple as a family Um, we've made lasting friendships and they have been there for us through the good times through the bad times Um, last year whenever Mark lost his job and he was unemployed for eight months Our exchange family really surrounded us with love and prayer and like, it meant so much to us. Um, It was the hardest time in our marriage that we've ever had, I believe. Um, It was truly a test of faith. Over the last four years, man, the exchange has helped me tremendously as a man, just teach me my role for my family and just from scripture and just people that I'm around all the time, you know, just they guided me and helped me and taught me who I needed to be and what I needed to be for my family. We have learned that it's not all about us. It's about serving others. And it's a privilege for us to serve others. 
Mark and I have had the chance to serve on in many different capacities. Most recently, we became life group leaders. And to be honest, at first, we were very nervous. We didn't know if this was something we were going to be able to do. But honestly, we just felt like God was saying, this is another step of faith that you need to take. And it has been a blessing to us. We have loved leading the life group. Life groups mean so much to us. Um, the exchange family as a whole is very important, but the smaller group on a smaller level where you can really be personal and really get to know each other and develop relationships, and that's what's really important to us. It's meant a lot to us and our marriage, and it's helped us, and we've had the privilege of helping other couples. I believe God's taught me through serving is to open up, communicate, because I've always been a a clam when it comes to communicating with people, talking to people, and it's God has really opened me up to actually be able to even stand at the door and greet someone coming in, or I mean, have, sit there and have a conversation with a new person that's coming through the door. I mean, it's, God has really worked through me to open me up and change me in the aspect of representing Him to other people. When we walk through the doors at the exchange, we feel like we're coming home. It it is truly like a family, and we can't say that enough. We have invited several people over the four years that we've been there that have come for the first time. Some of them never been to church before, and that's what they all say is they're like, when we walked through that door, we felt welcome, like we felt like we belonged, and there was no judgment, and it was acceptance and love, and, and that's important. Like it's, That's what it's all about. Being a part of the exchange family has changed our life, our marriage, our family. It has been such an important role in our life. Um, we are completely different than what we used to be before we started coming to the exchange. That's the power of spiritual community and saying, I don't want to do life alone. Now I want to give you three practical ways as we leave on how you can not do life alone about how you can engage in spiritual community. So here's number one. Number one is for you to make the gathering a priority, our Sunday gathering a priority in your life. And you're like, well, hold up, I'm here today, okay? And that's awesome. We're really, really glad that you're here today, all right? And we do this every single week. And here's what I know. January is a really easy time to start making new resolutions and to uphold them. Come February and April and July and October, it's really easy to go, I don't even remember what the resolution was, all right? And so, men, for you, especially as men today, as leaders over your household, maybe it's you and your spouse, you and your significant other, you and your family with kids, to go, men, this is going to be a priority in our life, all right? And we're not going to be here every week, and we don't expect you to be here every week, but to go, we need this, and we're going to do whatever it takes to make this gathering a priority in our life. And maybe you're here every week. And maybe for you, taking the next step is connecting with one of our serve teams to go, I not only want to come and receive every week, but man, I want to be squeezed out. I want to carry the mat with somebody else on it. Here's the second way. To connect with what we call life groups. Our small group of people, just like you heard Mark and Meg talk about. Some of you, I know you're brand new to us, and you hear that, and you're like, I don't even know what a life group is. What does that look like? Sounds like we're going to recovery or something. Okay, here's what a life group is. A life group is many different segments of people, whether it's just men, just women, couples, young adults. Our students now gather in life groups every single Wednesday night because we think it's that important. 
And so it's an opportunity for you to go, hey, I'm not just going to come sit and get lost in the crowd on Sunday, but I really want to begin to engage other people and share life together. We've been trying to do it alone forever. I've been trying to do it alone forever, and it ain't working. And one, I'm missing out because that's what you just told me today. And so every week, or some groups meet every other week, man, they'll gather in homes, in restaurants. What do they do together? I mean, what do they talk about? They talk about life, and they share that together. And then they'll center around God's word and some teaching and some truth that they can walk out and live with. And guess what? Will it be awkward the first couple of times you go? Yep, sure will be. Just like when you walk into any environment where you don't know people. First day on a new job, first week, is it awkward? Yep, sure is. They just write you a paycheck. But it's awkward. But guess what? Over the last four years, I've seen some friendships and relationships begin to be formed that I think literally will last for the entirety of those people's life, even when they're not connected to the exchange, because they engaged in spiritual community together. So that's the second way. Here's the third way. Identify one person that you can disciple and pour life into or that can pour life into you. Here's what I know. For some of you, man, you're here every week and you're faithful and you serve and you're connected with a group. Maybe you're leading a group and that's awesome and we need you. We're grateful for you. But for some of you, maybe there's a person within your group or that you interact with here on a serve team and you go, you know what? Man, I would love to pour into that person and help show them the love and the commitment that people have shown me. You could do that. For others of you, man, this would be really, 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 really bold, okay? But I believe some of you could do it to go, you know what? I'm brand new to this faith deal, bro. Like, we just started coming to church first time we've been in, like, about 10, 15, 20 years. But to go, you know what? I've been watching the way that person lives, and it's clear they love Jesus. And I'm going to go ask them, would you eat lunch with me every other week? And tell me about what God's done in your life so that I can grow to become like what I've seen God do in you? The power of spiritual community and not doing life alone. Because here's what I believe, guys, all right? For us to deny the need for spiritual community in our life is for us to hold out blessings that God has for us and for us to refuse purposes that God intended us for. So let me say this. Is our goal today to try to guilt you into showing up here every week so that we can have a full room and guilt you into signing up for one of our life groups? Nope. Because here's what I've learned. Guilt is a very, very lousy motivator. Like it'll last through, I don't know, maybe next week. Is our goal today to try to get you to show up here and go to our life group so we can go, look at our attendance numbers. We got people all over the place. No. The goal today is that we would have hearts that would be more in love with Jesus, more in love with each other. That we have minds that would be more committed to God, more committed to his family. And that we would have souls that we would continually be encouraged to persevere no matter what this life hands us. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.